Welcome to the LDS Divorce Coach Podcast. I take the sting out of divorce. This is your host, Emily Sanchez. Hey everybody, Emily Sanchez here. Thank you so much for joining me. If you're joining me for the first time or if you're somewhat new to my podcast, I wanted to take just a moment to introduce myself and tell you a little bit about what I do. So, I'm a divorce coach, as it says. I'm a life coach who specifically focuses on persons going through a divorce or after divorce and kind of the emotional state that you're left in. So I offer practical strategies such as gathering your counsel, your support team, coming up with a parenting plan, different things like that, figuring out the jargon sometimes of the divorce degree itself. I do not offer legal advice, all right? But I can help you speak with your divorce attorney. I can help you find one. I can help you understand what those processes are and what your papers are telling you and and different things to look out for, things to remember in your plans and and things of that nature. Now, I also offer emotional strategies, emotional support. As a certified life coach, of course, I'm going to go through and help you with the emotional intelligence and designing an awesome future, goal setting, and co-parenting issues as well. I guess can be practical and emotional. So I just wanted to kind of tell you that that's what I do with my clients. And I have this podcast where I am truly, truly hoping to benefit people who don't know what to do next or feel a little bit lost or or whatever that case may be, whether divorced or not divorced, and offer you some strategies here as well. But if you want to take it to the next level and really solve those problems that kind of seem insurmountable, give me a call. I love tackling it. I'd love to tackle it with you and make life truly enjoyable where you're thriving and loving being a co-parent. Imagine that (laughs) and loving the situation. So please let people know about my podcast. And if you have friends or family going through a divorce or after a divorce, let them know I'm here. I'd love to help them out. All right. So today I want to talk about my personal action model. So, a model. What's a model? Well, psychologists that are known throughout the world, like Maslow, he has that hierarchy of needs. That's a model. Um, Tony Robbins offers a lot of different models. Um, He talks about the three pillars that make up a meaning, physiology, focus, and what we think. And Brooke Castillo, the president of the Life Coach School, her model is circumstances determine our thoughts, thoughts determine our feelings, feelings determine our actions, and actions determine our results. So I just started thinking, why can't I have a model? Like, what do I truly, truly believe in? And I came up with this because I truly feel like this is me, and... I have to admit to you, I love philosophy. That was one of my favorite courses in college. I took three or four philosophy courses. I love talking about wise to human behavior and human thought. 
And so I think that because that's a part of me, that that's how I came up with it. Another big component of who I am is just in the doing of things. I truly feel like we aren't going to feel like it, guys. But when we do things, when we put it into practice, we're going to get results. And eventually, we might even enjoy it. We might even feel like doing it. So this is why I'm calling it my action model. Okay, so I'm just going to introduce it in this podcast. And then in subsequent podcasts, I will get more into the meat of each concept. So there's a lot of P's, hopefully, so that you can remember. So I want to start with the reason we do anything is because it generates pleasure and takes away pain. Okay, so you have kind of a pleasure pain index of the reasons why you do something. This leads you to what you practice. So basically, your habits. Then what you practice inherently becomes the person that you are or the product, which is your results. So that's your results is the person. And I wanted to kind of make it more personal, not to use the word again, but not just, you know, your results, but the actual person that you are wanting to become. Now, this model can go back and forth. You could start it with the pleasure and pain, you know, weighing out why or why not you want to do something. Or you could start with the practice of something. Maybe you're sick of asking yourself if you want to do something or not do something or weighing out the reasons. Maybe you just decide and go straight to the decision and decide what you need to practice so you can get that product, so you can become that person that you want to become. Maybe even you can start with the person. Okay, so this model is really about its action, it's about goal setting, and hopefully you can use it to solve problems, you can use it to make decisions, you can use it to really carry out what you want in your life and to become the type of person that you truly want to become. So I'm going to just for the sake of this start with the pleasure pain index, okay? So basically what I'm submitting to you is that people are motivated by how much pleasure it's going to give them. Now, this is called something in in philosophy. It's hedonism. That's Greek for pleasure, basically. And there's an ethical hedonism, and there's motivational hedonism. The ethical side is really, I'm not wanting to get into that. That's basically saying you have a moral obligation to do what you find pleasure in more than what you find pain in. You have a moral obligation. So I'm really not talking about that. And when I am saying the word pleasure, I am meaning not like the short gratification type pleasure. I'm talking more of pleasure in very broad terms like happiness, productivity, peace, worthiness, anything of that nature where it's producing the welfare also, the welfare and joy and abundance, those type of things that elicit that, those all good type of emotions, those positive, uplifting emotions. So this is basically motivational 
hedonism. And motivational hedonism, it poses that you're basically doing things only out of this pleasure versus pain index. It's only pleasure that motivates you to do something. And, you know, there's arguments against that. You're going to find naysayers that are going to say, well, not everything. You know, there's people that have voluntarily stood up and decided they were going to do this knowing it would generate pain. So let me give you an example of this argument. The prisoner of war, John McCain. You know, if you know his story, you know he was a prisoner of war for six years. And they came to him and said to him, we will release you if you tell us uh, this or that about certain secrets of the military. And he did not. In fact, he took a longer time in there just to protect them. So he stayed in there for two years longer. He could have gotten out sooner. But he did that knowing it would be more painful. So I am still saying that this is motivational hedonism. Because although it elicits a painful immediate response, in the long run, his values, his moral compass, his pleasure would be greater in the long run. So I actually love that argument because when you are looking at this from a standpoint of being in complete control and able to see the decision and why you would want to do something or not do, you know, so much of us want this immediate gratification. So much of us want the results to be right then. But if you have a true pleasure and pain index where you can weigh out all the reasons you take your convictions and your values and you have that on a grander kind of macro scale, you know, the other example in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, many people send out missionaries. Does this hurt you? Does this cause you pain to let your teenager go out? Yes, of course. But why do you do it? For the greater good. Now that's some utilitarianism. You know, utilitarianism is doctrine that an action is right as long as it promotes happiness or, or welfare to you and the majority on a long term, okay? So, I am still posing that we do do things. Our actions are generated out of how much pleasure or good emotion can come from doing this or how much pain can go away, you know, something you can move away from, but on a grander scale. And I think that's where having a coach can really help you because we get so subconscious. We do all these things, and I'll get into it a little bit, habitually. We don't even understand. We don't even know that our pleasure and pain index has gone way out of control, and we just let it run our lives on a micro scale, wanting immediate gratification, right? So that's where people get confused. They get confused and mixed up. It's within that immediate pleasure, that temporary, not even believing that something will end up yielding a better result, you know, seeing more in, into the future. So our values and our convictions are big in this equation. And if we practice strong values and convictions on that broad scale, that's what creates true happiness. We will fall back on those even when they seem painful, like that POW example. 
It's like the marathon run runner who's experienced the euphoria. So they've tasted greater pleasure by crossing that finish line and by doing all the things, you know, all their long runs, completing this, what it does to their self-esteem, what it does to their self-concept, what it does to their energy level. They've seen all of those benefits. So that outweighs the pain. So that's what I'm talking about is on a pleasure and pain in index. What outweighs the pain? What are all the reasons why? And making all the reasons why you want to do this good thing so compelling that you have to do it, that you cannot not do it. So on the other, the flip side, the examples of the immediate motivational hedonism is smoking, gambling, addictions, avoidance, like it's too painful seeing my ex-girlfriend with the new boyfriend or whatever. You know, there's lots of that buffering that's immediate gratification. So that's where having a coach could truly help. When you're standing, you know, thinking about what is driving me to do this? What are my practices in life? What are my habits? Going back and saying, oh, I'm taking the easy road because I want to avoid pain. That's why I'm not working out. That's why I'm not waking up at 5.30. That's why I'm not, because I like the comfort. That comfort is outweighing the pain of getting out of bed. Or, you know where I'm going with this. It's a pleasure and pain index why we do anything that we do, even subconsciously. And I want to teach you how we can get the good stuff that we want subconscious. So again, my pain and pleasure index is on the grand scale. Okay, so that's the first part of the model. Moving on, the pleasure of pain index leads to what we practice in our lives. Let's look at it. What do you do habitually? What are your habits? What are your rituals? What are the subconscious practices that we don't even notice? that we think we have no control over, okay? So I want you to think about them right now. And I, I started listing them a little bit. I started listing them, we're not getting up earlier, or we forget to do our spiritual rituals that we wanna do. We yell at our kids sometimes. Why? We don't do that out of pleasure, Emily. Weren't you saying that everything we do comes out of pleasure? Well, think about it a little bit, you guys. Yes, sometimes I yell at my kids. And the reason is, because I'm probably avoiding having patience. I'm avoid, and I think that's painful. So I'm avoiding pain and want a quick fix. There's my snap of the fingers. So I'm gonna yell at my kids. Think about everything you do that's subconscious. My laziness, you know, <laughs> just turning it on myself. But it's pain avoidance. I'm tired, so I'm not gonna do this. I'm not gonna, you know. <laughs> Whatever it is my, in your relationship, why you're not doing things is usually pain avoidance, right? So I was reading this book. It's called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And it applies to business, but also personal as well. And I thought it was really cool how he described the science of habits. So he says it turns out every habit starts with a psychological pattern called a habit loop, which is a three-part process, okay? So the first one is there is a cue or a trigger that tells your brain to go into automatic mode and let a behavior 
unfold. Then there's the routine, which is the behavior itself. That's what we think about when we think about habits. Then the third step, he says, is the reward, something that your brain likes that helps it remember the habit loop in the future. And then he goes on to say that neuroscientists have traced our habit-making behaviors to a part of the brain called the basal ganglia, which also plays a key role in the development of emotions, memories, and pattern recognition. Now, this is the interesting part, you guys. Decisions, meanwhile, are made in a different part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex. But as soon as a behavior becomes automatic, the decision-making part of your brain goes into a sleep mode of sorts. So what does this mean? It means that the brain can start working less so we can add more things and it, it's a huge advantage so that your mental activity can go into something else. So when I read this, this was groundbreaking about what I was thinking. All right, so the decisions part of our brain is prefrontal cortex. So we can make a decision based upon the pain and pleasure index of anything that we want to decide to do. Maybe we know that we want to stop yelling at our kids. Okay, let's take that example. So we are going to make that decision. We're going to give, let's see, 10 reasons, 10 reasons why, what we will gain from doing it. I mean, we're going to have a closer relationship with our children. They're going to come to us more. Um, we're going to feel more love for them. We are going to have more patience for them. We are going to understand them more. You know, there's so many reasons why we'd want to stop that behavior, right? And foster a different behavior. And what's the pain side of it? So what do we want to kind of move out of our life? We don't want to feel that anger to our kids. We don't want them to feel a distance between us. We don't want to drive them away. You know, all those things of what could happen if we don't change. So to become a more patient parent, what am I going to put into place? So now what habits after we do the pain and, and pleasure index test kind of of our decision, what are we going to put into our practice? Okay, we could check out some awesome books from the library, you know, Love and Logic, or one I did a podcast on is uh, Parenting the Difficult Child and the Nurtured Heart Approach. That one I truly suggest. So then we're going to go into what we're going to do. You know, we're going to go all day without yelling, you know, we're going to, but then we're going to give ourselves a reward. Now, how many times do you have to do something for it to become a habit? I just read it takes three months. That's an average of a huge study that was done. And they said to be exact, 66 days. Whoa, so you're telling me I actually have to work on these things? Yes. So if you want to be a better co-parent, you're going to actually have to talk and communicate with your other parent and put stuff into practice. First do the pain and pleasure index. What will happen if I do do this? And make it compelling enough so you have to do it. Then you have to put it into practice because you want it to become automatic. Once it becomes automatic after those 66 days, now it's not 66 days for everybody. You know, I've read before 21 days can make a habit. 
All right, everybody's different in that, but that was the average. So once you put it into practice, it goes into that other part of the brain called the basal ganglia, where things are almost subconscious, and it goes into that subconscious practice. It's like learning to ride a bike. Okay, once we learn it and we got it, then we can ride a bike and put it into the basal ganglia in our brain and kind of forget about it. So we can have a conversation now while we're riding the bike. And we can add more things. Do you see the beauty of this? Oh my gosh, I love it. And then a lot of times I get clients who say, you know, I just don't think changing my thoughts is enough. I just don't think changing my thoughts is enough for me to change. And that's another reason why I came up with this model. Is I don't even talk about thoughts in this. And yes, this I'm going to get to that a little bit in the person that we want to become. But sometimes you have to just decide. Sometimes you just have to do. And then by the doing and the going is when the feelings come. You know, we're not going to always feel like it. We have to have the greater value and convictions. Our convictions is why we do it. You know, the meaning, the pleasure that we are going to gain, that we know those reasons why we got to do it. And then as we are doing it, that's when we start feeling it. And we know that by, you know, I remember not wanting to go on a run and then I started running. Oh, I'm kind of enjoying this. Same with swimming. Same with, you know, other things in relationships that sometimes we're tired and we don't want to do. But as we get into it, we enjoy it. You guys know what I'm talking about. But do you see where I'm going with this? I hope you do. That's where it came from. So now. What do our practices become? So our practices become our behaviors, our innateness, our product, our person, who we want to become. So what type of person do you want to become? What type of people are there out there? You know, when I think of different people, I will describe them with an adjective that's kind of an attribute or even an action verb. So, such as, I want to be a kind person. I want to be a patient person. I know a mean person. I know a a giving person. I want to be like them. I know a person who flies off the handle and is very angry. You know, it's interesting when we describe different people that we give them this attribute or we give them kind of an action verb which means we have to put that in a practice don't we to actually become that type of person we can't just think it and become it we can't just read about it and become it i hear that a lot in church how do we become more spiritual how how do we become more christ like okay become like christ by doing, putting things into practice. This part of the model is the vision board. And you can start with this. You can end with this. You know, it's all connected. It's beautiful to start with this. What do you, what kind of person do you want to be? What is your vision board for you and your family? What is your mission? What's your greater mission? What will it make you become? All right, you guys, that's basically it. So that is my model for you, my action model. Pleasure pain index leads to 
your practice, which leads to your product, which is you, the person. Start anywhere you want on that model. Start with your vision of who you are, who you already are, and just accentuate all the amazing, wonderful things by thinking of the reasons why. What is going to give you the greatest amount of hope, happiness, joy, not just pleasure, but all the good things. And make it so compelling that you're up at night thinking about how wonderful it is and what practices you can put into your lives to become the person. Oh, I could keep going round and round with this, you guys. It's circular. So thank you so much for joining me tonight. I hope that made sense to you. I hope that you can start kind of looking at things you might want to do with that model. I will expand upon each line later. So again, make it a great day. Make it what you want. I love you. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening today. Come on over and visit me at CoachEmilySanchez.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, make it a great day.